So welcome everybody. I'm here again with Carol Edmund, CEO of Glass Moon for the second in the series of the Glass Moon podcasts. And uh, this day you're going to hear a bit more um, from me uh, because Carol and I are going to be talking about our own respective journeys and the partnership that we're creating. And we're so excited about what we're able to do with all the, uh, the knowledge and the experience and our own individual research uh, to be able to take it out there into the, 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 the big world um, to be able to support the humanizing of the, the workplace. So Carol, uh, brilliant to, to be here again with you. Um, I was trying to think before uh, I started this, how long have we known each other? I know, right? So I, so I am, I'm pretty good with dates in terms of remembering things. And um, it was 2012, uh, was around March 2012. And the reason I remember that was because I was just in the process of finishing my dissertation for my master's on learning and leading with heart. And I pretty much got together everything I wanted to write and say. And then I met you at a networking event and you had me at neuroleadership, neuroscience, neurobiology. And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know very much about that back then, sort of eight years ago, that was new. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, I would really love to have met you earlier in my research process and learned more because learning and leading with heart was all about how do you create the conditions where where people are, are well and have the time and space to want to learn and develop their leadership practice and, and learn along the way in terms of this lifelong learning journey. And so that's how I remember um, our, you know, our first meeting, our first interaction, because it was, it was so close to me finishing that writing. And um, you were doing amazing research, as you're always doing amazing research and work. And it really, so that really, really stuck in my head. And, and so that was our first meet. And, you know, we were just really hit it off that night. And, went from there so eight years just over eight years my goodness do you know what I could not for the life of me remember the dates thank god you can remember all I could remember was the drinks <laughs> <laughs> I could remember, I remember where we were because we were at the house of lords and it was, yeah. it was it was fantastic and I still remember the conversation and how we were talking because we were both working in the um supporting I was supporting a charity around um, supporting families in the workplace. And of course you were at Bright Horizons and we were talking about the need to create the space where people can really thrive and how, what that really meant around leadership. Um, and then obviously I, I bent your ear around neurobiology because I was right in the middle of my research, which was published that year. Mm. So um, yeah, really interesting. And it's always, been, it's always felt like, um, and of course we have worked together but it's always felt that there's been this culmination over these eight years that we were coming to a certain point, which is, which is now. Sure. Um, so it's interesting, isn't it? So I, I tell, tell me a little bit about the journey up to that point and, and where things took you to make you go on the journey that you're going on now, really. Mm. So I think when we when we met in 2012, I was I was finishing the masters. I was about to do the Four Peaks Challenge for the Bright Horizons Foundation for Children. Um, we were doing lots of M and A work. We're about to do um, a really quite big sort of trans transaction in terms of buying another childcare company. Um, you know, the, the, there was a lot happening, a lot going on, but there was a real, a real, a real sense for me in terms of how how do we create. Um, environments where people can really work well and I think when we met and you talked about 
neuroscience and neuroplasticity and, and new sort of terms and concepts and the research that you were doing around trust and intrinsic motivation. It was, I mean, I love learning and I'm, I'm you know, deeply curious. And so it's kind of took me off on another, another sort of tangent. And I think that early conversation with you and the subsequent conversations we had, and then of course, you came into Bright Horizons um, and helped us, you know, develop and run the Building Resilient Thinking program, which was hugely successful. And, you know, and, and the guys that I'm still in contact with Bright Horizons years later still talk about that as being one of the most impactful programs, um, life-changing programs, you know, in terms of the life skills and the thinking, you know, it kind of created. And so I think that put me on an even deeper path about how you create um, healthy workplaces, how you create the conditions, um, and of course, when you're running a childcare company, you're, you know you're carrying, you've got the most precious cargo you'll ever have in the world in terms of other people's, you know, other people's children in, in nurseries, and, and making sure that the environment and the conditions for people to do their best work when they're looking after young, small, vulnerable children, you're putting them on, you know, um, a journey you know lifelong learning improving outcomes etc cetera, etc cetera. and so I think the early conversations and the early work we did really helped me solidify some of my thinking around how important wellness is and how important well-being is and, I, and I'd gone through a phase you know a year or so earlier where I'd had a bit of burnout and so meeting you and working on resilience building putting wellness and well-being programs in and we were really broadening the offering that we had in Bright Horizons at that time from a from a B2B perspective in terms of not just talking about workplace nurseries, uh, not just talking about emergency childcare, we were really developing um, this broader proposition around, you know, uh, mental health, about well-being, about working flexibly, and, and, and really develop that over the next couple of years. And so we were looking at how, how do we do it for our customers, but how do we also make sure that we mirror that very much in our own environment in terms of what our people have have access to. And so I think when when I uh, when I left Bright Horizons to spend a bit of time with my you know my daughter um, and and also think about what I wanted to do next. I was in the middle of my own sort of research um, in terms of my doctoral thesis. The thinking and the working and 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 the time that I'd had with you over those two three years was, was really formative in terms of the path that I wanted to go on and what I was going to do next. And and certainly when I left Brit Horizons. Um, the, the resilience work that we did was fantastic because I think when you're leaving an organization in a sector you've been in for a very long time and there's a change to your identity and your status you need to be able to really draw down on any resilience building work that, that you've done and again I think when you have that personal experience of how helpful um, that can be it, it continues to um, deepen your association and your affiliation to wanting to learn more and wanting to understand how you can continue to, to do this work both personally and also when you're in a back in a leadership role which of course a few years later um, I'm the MD and then the CEO for Guard and you come in and join us again and, and we start the journey again but in that intervening time you and I had obviously had conversations about you know we're doing all this great research we've got all this practical experience at some point we will come together um, and we'll do a, a collaboration which is where we are now yeah completely and, and and it is it's fantastic to get to a point that just feels right and you think about the culmination of I suppose both our stories and experiences and the way I suppose we both see the world and what we want to be able to try and help put right because we, we've been getting it wrong 
for, for a long time, you know, and I, I know you've, you've heard me say this before, but, you know, we, we, there's the human resource department or function. And yet, why, why can't we switch that around and call it, we should be resourcing the humans. You know, we're asking the wrong questions here and we're, we're falling over ourselves in terms of um, the, the error rate, the, the illness rate, the, the lack of motivation. I mean, it's, it's just staggering actually about how, you know, difficult we've, we've made it for ourselves really. Um, and I, I mean, I still remember, I think back to, to where things really shifted for me um, when I was working um, uh, with, well, within KPMG and I had an absolutely fantastic time. You know, I was, I was, it was fantastic. People really believed in, in me. I was very, um, I mean, I started out, as you know, <laughs> becoming an accountant, swiftly realized that that wasn't quite for me um, because there were a lot of people far better off at, at doing the role than, than I, I did or I could have done. But actually, you know, rising in the ranks there, I always knew that my role as a leader was to create the environment where people could thrive. That, that was my role. I was there to resource and to serve them. Mm. And I still remember getting into, a, into quite a bit of trouble. And I was, uh, I was pushing back against yet another nine box rating and another bell curve where I had to force everybody into these rankings. And I, I have never been able to get my head around how you box any human being, how we, we have personalities and we have characteristics. We can't box anybody into into anything, um, and I and I still remember I was leading a it was it was a, it was a large restructuring. It was a very difficult, complex um, journey that we were on at the time. And I remember uh, a fantastic uh, woman coming in, and she was going through yet another. I mean, I think the slide decks we were going through must have been sixty or seventy every time. I remember sitting there when she got to, I think it was something around swim lanes or something like that. And I remember stopping the meeting. And I remember being so frustrated by the models and the frameworks and the, nothing in there told me anything about how to support the human beings that were finding it so difficult. The change was enormous. People were losing their jobs. They knew that their jobs were, they hadn't lost them already, that, jobs were on the line those that were staying what does it look like what does it mean you know so many things and I needed to know and I needed to understand what I could do as a leader and it had culminated actually the day before I mean bless her it wasn't her fault that she obviously entered my office at the wrong time um you know I, I was pushing back against these nine box performance ratings against the, the bell curve I was pushing get back against policies which are nothing but constricting rules and you know, um, and I just got my, uh, I think it was, they, they had an annual engagement survey and I got my scores on the doors as I always call it. And, and I'd done well, I'd obviously passed, but I didn't know why. I mean, it just, I needed to understand what it was. And this is, you know, where I, the neurobiology came into. I wanted to understand that what really could support the human being, what really created an environment where human beings could thrive? Because I, I came to the absolute realization that I honestly knew more about the computer in front of me, and I know very little about computers, as you know, than the human being. 
and what really motivates us and what really inspires us. So, and, and that was really the, the start of the whole research. And, and I remember those, those, um, those milestones um, all the way through a fantastic career, but actually just getting to this point, this real crunch point of going, we've got to do something differently. Mm. And I remember the conversations with you and, and since, and, and almost every day, you know, our ability to be able to culminate I mean, I think between us, it's about 70 years worth of experience and research. And, you know, we've been there, done that, got the T-shirt, definitely. But to be able to now to go back out and share that, mm. um, for me, is just absolutely fantastic. So what do you think is the most exciting and the most important parts of what we're going to be able to do together? So I think um, I mean, one, of the, one of the things that we've both been big fans of for a long time is the notion of sort of dismantling the command and control, mm. um, you know, outdated approach that there still exists in most organisations today. So I think the notion that we can dismantle that, we can help people think differently, apply a kind of broader perspective, flexible mindset to see that this is an old, a very old, it's probably 200 year old construct that actually doesn't serve us very well. Um, and, you know, for a long time, I've long thought, okay, you know, how do we change this? What, is, what, do we, what does it look like? How do we do it in a way that doesn't frighten people where you go from very command and control, uh, you know, sort of approaches to driving much more sort of distributed leadership, much more about engaging people, really tapping into their intrinsic motivation, um, really building trust so that people are working environments and they have the conditions where they are trusted to do to do good work and their best work and think critically and laterally for themselves rather than waiting to be told what to do because mm -hmm. we're not we're not living in a world where we can wait from people you know people in a central point or central place or you know or even your boss further up the line to wait to tell you what to do we're dealing with a lot of uncertainty especially in the you know the environment we're in currently there's a lot of uncertainty there's a lot of complexity and, and ambiguity and I, I've always thought that ambiguity is the land of opportunity but it doesn't feel like that if you don't like ambiguity so how do we help people think more critically how do we help them take that step back and, and and reflect and how do we use people's stories and personal narratives to help them really kind of dig deep especially given where we are now and especially the sectors that we're very passionate about in Glassmoon, which is social care, early education, education more broadly, and, and healthcare. Um, and I think we're starting to get a much deeper appreciation of when the conditions are there, and, and they've always been there, they've just been amplified and um, expedited, that the people in the front line can do amazing work. They are doing amazing work. People across this, you know, the sectors I've just talked about are incredibly bright, smart, tuned in, know, know what needs to happen, don't need to, you know, rely on computer says no or policies that have never worked or outdated, etc. So, so, so this notion that we can help organisations really figure out how to finally get beyond um, this this need to command and this need mm -hmm. to control that doesn't mean to say there doesn't need to be any level of control um but not in the way that we've you know this conformity this compliance with a clock and stuff like that that we've been set up to think is the is the only way we can we can think and 
we're doing a lot of work, as you know, in, in, in Glassman, you're helping with us, helping us think about it um, around intersectional inclusion mm-hmm. and how do we think more broadly and more deeply. And I don't, I don't think there's ever been a more relevant time to think about that. But, but just coming back to one of the points you made earlier about um, the mind block, I remember doing some work with an organisation where they were hugely committed to the nine block process and and for anybody who's listening who doesn't know what it is it's effectively nine blocks and you you put people into blocks and and they're pretty much the boxes are in three um layers if you like so the sort of below budget or below target on target and above target and you're slotted into the relevant block and I remember saying gosh that that looks like we're putting people into boxes we're, we're literally saying well you fit in this box in every scenario uh, rather than making it contextual to you know their job or specific things that they're working on or whatever and the response being we never put people into boxes in this organization <laughs> and we sort of looking at this this process that was exactly that that's what you did and I was like well what if people are in that box block for that and another block oh no no they can only go in one block they can only go in one box and I'm like so we kind of do put people in boxes mm-hmm. and the and the, the disconnect that there seemed to be between um this methodology that had been created that people were very wedded to doing and this I don't know is it cognitive dissonance around oh no we never put people in boxes we see the whole you know they bring their whole self to work and and, and the kind of irony wasn't lost on me. Um, but, you know, as, as you often say, and as you hear people say in social work, you have to meet people where they are. And so I, I kind of reluctantly sat there realising that that day I was not going to change people's mind because they were so wedded to, to the nine blog. But it did really make me think, if we're applying a methodology and a process in a system like that, and we're saying we're not putting people in boxes, and that is exactly what we're doing, um, how do we move some of these... HR leadership development, organizational development constructs on from from ones that are overly mechanic, you know, overly mechanical, I guess, and start to think much more, much broader in terms of context, much broader in terms of is there really such a thing as organizational culture or is there just a bunch of microcultures? And we need to get much more tuned into the microcultures and the micro context because that's people's day-to-day reality. Yeah. Not what we might imagine, you know, as the CEO, that the kind of the company culture is X. Does that really exist? And so I think the work that we're doing in, in Glass Moon um, and the work that, you know, we're doing together in terms of whether that's programmatically, whether that's how we help organizations think differently, it's just it, it's bringing different perspectives. It's bringing different ways of looking at things that are pretty ingrained aren't serving as well relative to the 21st century modern day experience that people want to have at work or people want to be able to have if they're in receipt of service because the processes and the systems and the computer says no are not really designed to meet their needs and demands they're designed to hit kpis or tick boxes or deliver a certain level of profitability and I just I just think we're beyond that now so we need a we need a new approach and we need some fresh thinking and that's obviously what what we're working on oh yeah totally and it's it's interesting because I've just realized I've never noticed before because we have had this conversation before but you used nine block and I use nine box I mean it's the same thing mm. but when you think about both of those words I mean you're either blocking somebody or you're boxing somebody it, it's it's crazy isn't it we 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 go through these really brilliant rigorous recruitment drives we bring in the best talent in our organizations and then 
and then we curb them and constrain them and we put them into boxes and we block them and if um <clears throat> if they sort of get out of line slightly then we'll throw a policy and and actually you were just saying there about creating the right conditions so that we really better that day-to-day -day reality and that day-to-day -day experience because we know and, the, and the, the, the key here and what's really exciting for me is that we can change that day-to-day -day reality and by doing so we know because our work is evidence-based it's highly accessible and practical which is fantastic because both of you and both you and I believe in if you can't apply it and you can't use it, then it, it's, it's not worth having it there. So it's gotta be applicable, but we can really change that. And, and the thing is, is that all of these metrics, these boxes, the performance appraisal system, whatever, whichever one you wanna take really, you know, they've been born out of a uh, first era industrial revolution, which was all about controlling. And yet now we need to let go of control and know that those human beings that we found, we've taken such pains in finding, we're all about serving them to bring them in to create the right conditions for them to really be able to excel and to always progress and learn and give and always want to contribute. Because as soon as you start to curb that desire and you constrain people, you're into the land of disillusionment and disengagement. And, and we all know the, the downside of that. And in fact, our entire economy and our health is being impacted by it. And as we talk about here, we're, we're right in this middle of this colliding context. You know, COVID-19, we're just at the point where lockdown's starting to ease in different places around the world. We're in the UK at the moment with it just starting to, to lift. We're starting to think about how do we actually manage the risks, which are great, but also how do we grasp, just like you're saying, the ambiguity, there's opportunity. Mm. How do we grasp those opportunities to really reshape, reimagine a world of work that actually serves the human beings and rights to it, creates the right conditions? Because you know what? Leadership is not linear, straightforward. It's not even really that measurable. It's messy because a human being is really messy, but we are really good at it. And I think right now, as we enter in a, a very different space and time with the fourth industrial age, the technology, the difference in attitudes, the shift in the talent relationship, we've got a depression just around the corner. You know, I could go on and on and on. Now is the time where we've got to create the conditions where the innate human skills and talents that we have for creativity, collaboration, all of these things has got to have those right conditions. And the more constraints we put on them, the less we're going to be able to tap into them. And I know that, as you say, whether it be through our sharing, our consultancy, uh, the programme, whatever it may be, I know we can we can make that difference. And it's really exciting for me. Mm. I think it is, and I, and I think you're right. And I think you hear people talk about, um, and it depends what language and vernacular you like and don't like the new normal. I mean, you make the point, and you wrote a, a, a blog recently in terms of, 
you know, there's no new normal because what was normal, you know, sort of previously and before, and it's the same when I hear talk, people talk about, you know, being resilient and bouncing back. It's not, there's no bouncing back. It's only about going forward. Mm-hmm. And I think what people have experienced in the last few months, uh, what people are seeing around the world with Black Lives Matter, you know, there's a number of really fundamental things that are, that are kind of overdue around really addressing and highlighting structural inequalities and we talk a lot about barriers bias and beliefs and it comes in lots of flavors and shapes and forms and things I think people it's, it's almost like the kind of what, what you've seen can't be unseen and people's mm-hmm. mind are be, minds have been expanded and stretched and certainly conversations I have with my 16 year old daughter um, about a range of things and I think gosh that would never even have entered my kind of mind at you know at that sort of relatively young age whereas you know she's you know only she's thinking about it she's been you know she's taken some activism around it and stuff like that and it's fantastic and so I just think we're at a an amazing point in time to start to see some of the long overdue shifts from a societal perspective and from an economic perspective that that people who are running organizations, people who are involved in, in, in big institutions, like whether it's you know the NHS or whatever it is, um, financial industry, bank, whatever, there's a massive opportunity for us to kind of hold hands and, and really kind of step up and start to drive change that will make such fundamental difference and put us on a new footing, not bouncing back to where we were because a lot of what happened pre-COVID wasn't so great, frankly, for a lot of people in so many directions. So let's use that opportunity to kind of expand our minds, shift our mindsets, but be much more flexible and our thinking, broaden our perspective, and be much more inclusive and, and a lot less self-serving and more in service to others as to as to how we think about doing this work going forward. And, and, and that's what I'm excited about in terms of the work that we're doing in Glass Moon. I'm excited about the collaboration that it feels like the time has come for you and I to really put all of that um, is it really 70 years that makes us that makes us sound like we've been going for a long time let's assume, let's assume there's a fair bit of wisdom in there <laughs> um, you know the experiences that we've had part of organizations running organizations as mothers wives you know daughters all of that bring all of that together um, and and really channel that into our work to to do some great stuff definitely definitely and I, I uh, yeah you're absolutely right I, I don't want to return I mean it's gone anyway but I want to bounce forward. I think now really is the chance to, I mean, it's the rise of the human organization, isn't it? And, and those leaders and organizations that can grasp this and really change how we approach creating those conditions, they're the ones that are going to thrive into this next century and in this fourth industrial era. So yeah, cannot wait to be able to, to share with you through Glass Moon, our program, our research, our experience um, with, with those organizations. And of course, to, to build Glass Moon services as well with a blueprint about how you can make it about the human being and resource those, those humans. So uh, yeah, cannot wait, really looking forward to it. Fantastic, thanks so much, Carol. And uh, we will uh, look forward to speaking to you again very soon for another episode in our in our series. Take care all. Bye.